Well, welcome to the second week of 2014. You know, it's uh, <laughs> clapping down yeah, the front end. Nothing's gone wrong yet, right? Yeah, it's been a good year so far. Um, you know, the interesting thing is in the office, you know, you know, you're planning for the whole year. You know, my sermon series schedule is already set all up. Basically, church calendar's got a lot of stuff going already on it. And as you look at it all for the whole year, it's going to be a great 2014, I, I think. But also, it's a little bit like syllabus shock. You know, remember back in year in college and you get all the syllabi in the same week and you're looking at it going, ah! This is due. I got, it's going to kill me. And so it's a little bit of that. You're going through, oh man, we're going to have a busy year. We've got all kinds of, between concerts and we've got a cruise in and we've got uh, weddings already set up on the schedule. We'll probably will end up burying some people. We've got meals going on. We've got all kinds of studies happening. You've got singing and practicing. But when the whole year is done, one of the things we have to ask ourselves now in preparation for getting there, is will we have accomplished the thing that Jesus has asked us to accomplish? And we can be busy. It's not a problem. But will we have accomplished what Christ has asked us to accomplish? He's getting ready to leave this earth. His uh, last words to his, his followers, he says in Matthew 28. He says, I want you to remember this one thing, guys. This one thing. I'm leaving this one thing with you. Go into all the world and make disciples. And then he's gone. Make disciples. Now, this is the way we say it here. Our, our vision, our dream is transforming Erie by introducing people to a transformational relationship with Jesus, by introducing them to Jesus, making disciples. But the question still we have to answer is, what does a disciple look like? Now, we recognize that it starts when you come to Christ. You recognize that he died on the cross for you. You're putting your faith in him. You come in repentance. You surrender your life to him. And it's almost like, okay, Lord, between now and the time I see you in heaven, help me to do it right. Well, that's what does that look like? That's the disciples thing that we want to unpack here. And so a while back, the pastors, the directors at some of the ministries, we got together and we brainstormed. What does it look like biblically to be a disciple? So we're writing all kinds of stuff on the board, as you can imagine. We put all those things together. When you stood, stood back and looked, it seemed like it fell into four pretty neat categories. Then when you looked at the people of God in the Old Testament and the followers of Jesus in the New Testament, those four categories just really came into focus. So one of the things that's a mark of a disciple in Scripture is someone who learns from Jesus. Jesus was a rabbi. That's a teacher. You followed him for him to teach you. The whole idea of this thing was teach me. It's you learn from Jesus. Also, you live for Jesus. The disciples never came just to hear the info and be able to spit it back. It needed to transform their life. They lived for Jesus. They also loved as Jesus. In the West, it's pretty easy for us to do the Lone Ranger Christian thing, but it's always done in Scripture in the context of community, loved as Jesus. And then fourthly, they led others to Jesus. It was just a natural thing. You just you just did. Now, in just a second, we're going to have a test on these. We Really, really. And so you're going to be turned to the person next to you and repeat these. We'll take them off the screen. But, but here's the deal. I know their words are up on the wall and you're thinking they're on the bulletin. Aha, I'm going to trick him. But... The prepositions are not there. So let me go over again with you real quick, because you've got to say the whole thing. A disciple is one who learns from Jesus. Got it? From Jesus. They live for Jesus. They love as Jesus. And they lead to Jesus. 
Okay, look the person next to you. Here's the case study. They just came to you and said, what is this L4 followership thing? You share with them. Go, go, tell them. Okay, let me see. You got a lollygag around, I think, and loaf in front of the TV and lounge. No, 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 no. We'll get them, we'll get them, we'll get them. Um, Max Lucado uh, has this is a, a great illustration on, on uh, this love as Jesus. He said that um, uh, once upon a time there was a, a ship at sea, it was a captain, and they came across some very uh, bad weather. Actually, the hull began to break in and, and water was coming in. Sailors were being lost. And so as quickly as the storm came in, the captain was, was wise and began to maneuver the ship through the, the waves and heading towards an island, picking up, rescuing uh, sailors along the way. Before they knew what was going on, he had deposited them on an island. He was giving them instruction and he said, listen, there are people still out there. I'm going back out to get some. But what I want you to do is build a big fire with the trees of this island so that you can be warm and so that people out there can see. And then he left. And all the sailors were more than happy to oblige. They said, okay, this will be fantastic. And they built this huge fire with the trees of the island. And then they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And their thankfulness for the, the captain began to dissipate. And their appreciation for the captain began to be replaced with aggravation for the other people on the island. And before you know it, a, a discussion started. And they started talking among themselves and they said, now did he, when he said make a large fire with trees from the, from the island, did he mean like only trees? And some people said, yeah, well he said make it with the trees, so that's only trees. And others said, no, I think it's okay if we use brush and leaves and things like that. I mean, it's, it's the spirit of the, of the law. Well, they had this conversation and that led to opinion and that led to a disagreement which led to dispute, which led to division and before you know it, there were two groups on the island. There were the, the trees-only fire group and the mostly trees fire group. And the island had a degree of peace for a while until the trees-only group started talking among themselves. And somebody, I don't know who, raised the question, what kind of trees are we supposed to use, do you think? I mean, when he, when he spoke, he gestured toward the elm trees. So I, I think we probably should just use elms for the fire. And someone else said, oh, no, no, no. When, when he said that, he was standing right next to a cypress tree. So it's cypress trees only, of course. And someone else said, the predominant tree on the island is the oak tree. So this is an oak tree fire. That's what he was referring to. Well, they began, to, in their discussion, they began to have opinions, which led, of course, to disagreement, which led to dispute, which led to division. And before you know it, the trees-only field was splintered into cypress trees only, and elm trees only, and oak trees only. And they had their different fires going. Other side of the island, things didn't get a whole lot better. Now, these guys didn't argue about the content. The mostly trees fire were okay with the content. But he said a large fire. Now, how big is large? And so they all began to discuss, and of course their conversation led to opinion, which led to uh, dispute, which led to disagreement, which led to division, and before you knew it, back if you were out in the ocean looking at the island, it was just speckled with little fires everywhere. And as the captain was back there looking at the island, he just shook his head. Now, the, the story would be bizarre, except for the fact that if you had been in Christianity amount of, any amount of time, you know there's an awful lot of truth there. There's just an awful lot of truth there. We have a proclivity to cluster and divide, and when we do that, 
that distracts believers we'll spend the rest of our life trying to worry and argue about these secondary things and it discourages unbelievers. I mean, let's face it, what seeker in his right mind wants to walk into a big old battle like that? I don't forget it. I wouldn't want that. No way. It works against everything we're supposed to be. Uh, now, let me... Sounds going to look like I'm changing gears, but not really. End of 2014. Our success will be determined on whether or not we have made more disciples. How are we going to make them? Now, we might think, well, we've got to get classier music, and we've got to have more eloquent sermons, and we have to have more flashy programming, and we need more Starbucks coffee. See, that's what it's going to do. And we need, we need this, this silver bullet evangelism training program. See, if we get that going, and all those things are good. I'm not opposed to any of those things. Um, but Jesus told us how to do this as well. In John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new command. He's saying this, the, the day before he's going to be crucified. He knows that. So he says these guys down. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, which was pretty much, I think, so you must love one another. You must. It's not an option. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That which will, that one thing that we have that will attract, that is powerful, is a community based in biblical love. Let's face it, we cannot compete with the world in music and flashy stuff and coffee and anything else. We should work and do the best we can on those things. But the one thing that we have is a community of love. Whereas if they walk in and they see that, they're saying, I can't get this anywhere else. This is incredible. I want to be a part of that. Jesus says, that's how you do it. Which means if we get all the other stuff in spades... But we're missing this. You know what's going to happen at the end of 2014? We may have, have been able to play on someone's emotional strings for a while. May be able to get more seats filled. But we'll have made less or fewer disciples than what we could have. So it's this, this love thing is, is pretty important. Matter of fact, when Paul's going to look at this, 1 Corinthians 13, you, you know the deal. He says this, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, talk about bilingual, but do not have love, I've become nothing but noise. He says, If I have the gift of prophecy, if I know all mysteries, this guy's omniscient, and I have all faith, faith to move mountains, that's a lot of faith, but don't have love, I'm nothing. Since if I give everything away, I have. Give it for the gospel's sake. We're going to give it. And if I give my body to the flames, in other words, I'm going to be a martyr for the sake of the gospel. I mean, what kind of bigger sacrifice can there be than that? But if I don't have love, nothing. All those other things, even the martyr, a lot easier than the love. That's, 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 a, that's a challenge. This is why Paul will write in Romans 9, the passage we're going to camp on for just a few moments. If you give your Bibles, turn with me. Excuse me, Romans chapter 12. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And as you are, let me just give you a little background real quick. Church at Rome, interesting church. It was pretty much divided. You had Gentile believers and you had Jewish believers. They both trusted Christ. But they had some traditional baggage that went with it. They, they, they got together and said, hey man, let's have a potluck. And the Gentiles said, that's great, we'll plan the menu. 
The Jews said, well, okay, what are you going to put on it? Well, let's start off with roast pig. That'd be a good one. And the Jewish people said, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. We can't eat roast pig and dietary laws. And I know they're not applicable today, but still I'm struggling here. We can't do that. And they said, okay, you guys plan the menu, but let us pick the day. And the Jewish folks said, okay, but day do you want? Well, let's do it on Saturday. No, 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 you can't do this. the Sabbath day. And we can't do it on the, I know, I know, but we're stuck a little bit. It's who we, we are. And there was a big division. They weren't as cordial about it as I just was. And Paul comes to them. In chapter 12, verse 9, he says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. By the way, the whole context here is not isolated things. It's all the context of love. Abhor what is evil, which is division. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Or the NIV will say, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Boy, can you imagine what a cool place this would be if we all sought to outdo each other in showing honor. Man, those would be a wild experience, wouldn't it? Uh, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Now, this, uh, this idea of, of love, it's, it's the, the, the theme here. It's all over verse scripture. Some have said that it's the only doctrine that is on every page of scripture. It's in every book of scripture. This is... We as Americans struggle with this idea of love. Uh, in the, the Greek, there are four different words that we'll translate into one English word, love. C.S. Lewis points these out in his book, The Four Loves. First love is, is the Greek word is eros. It's, it's, we get the word erotic from, you can imagine. It's the marriage, it's the falling in love, it's the romance. Nothing wrong with the sexual romantic love. It's a good thing, you know, oh. Just, we're all lightheaded when we go through that. We know how that works. Uh, and that's okay. God invented that. That's, that's fine. But there are three other types of loves. And we just kind of focus on that one. That's the Hollywood. That's America. But there are three others. There's phileo love. And, and uh, what, what that is, it's, it's love between brothers. You ever have, or between good friends. You ever have a really, really good friend? You, you do anything for them, wouldn't you? Say that type of love. It's, it's agape love. It's the love that says, even if that person hates my guts and, and that we have nothing in, in common whatsoever, I'm going to sacrifice everything I've got for the betterment of them. I'm going to give everything for them. That's, that's the love God has for us. It's love we're actually commanded as well with each other. But then there's a third type of love, one that intrigues me. It's called storge is the word. Storge is a, a love between... Um, if it's a familiar love, it's a love between family. Think about your, your siblings for a while when you were growing up. Our siblings are probably not people we would have ever chosen to be our best friends, right? And they're different in, in makeup and personality and giftiness and everything else. We would, if we had to choose best friends, most probably most of us would not choose all of our siblings there. It just wouldn't happen. It just wouldn't happen. They were too different. But yet, in a family that's working right, the love there between is, is strong. And we might go head to head, but anyone else wants to go after them, and they're going to have to come through me, right? We're committed. We, 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 we are for the, the welfare, the betterment. We protect that person. That's, that's storegate love. And here's the bottom line. He would say that we all, if you're following Christ, if you claim Christ, uh, we all have the same father. 
We don't choose our love. We don't have any audition for it based on their IQ or based on their education or based on whether or not they have the exact same belief structure that I have and all the secondary issues. That's not. If he's our father, if we're claiming Christ, we love. And it's not easy. That's why he's got to tell us, be devoted to it. Work hard to get there because it doesn't come real easy. Uh, love, it, it is something that we have to work at. It's something that we have to be a part of. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Matthew Henry. He was a great Bible commentator several way back when, 1700s. His, his uh, uh, father, Philip Henry, had uh, started courting this girl named Catherine. Now, Catherine was from the other side of the tracks in a good way. She was from a sophisticated elite uh, where social standing was everything. And Catherine came to know Christ. You know, social standing didn't mean anything. And even though Philip didn't have any money and all, she was fine with that. But her parents, you know this parents, were struggling a little bit here. And so they pulled her aside and they said, Catherine, this man, Philip Henry, we don't know his family. We don't know where he's from. And Catherine responded in a very famous line. She said, neither do I know where he is from, but I do know where he's going. And that's all that matters. Storgate love, love of the brothers, love of the body, is, is not discriminatory in any way, shape, or form. It's not about who we like. It's about their, their claiming God is their father. They're my brother or sister. There's, there's a commitment level there. Now, uh, as we, we think about this, this idea of um, community, as, as love among us, uh, problem with us as Americans is in our English language we have one word that's used for both second person singular and second person plural. Right? You. From, you. You. I'm then that's you. It's one person. But maybe I'm saying you. The whole group. Same word. You know what I'm saying? So what we do is we read scripture. Sometimes we read the New Testament. And what we do is we translate. We interpret the you personally. Jesus says, lo, I will be with you always. Oh, with me. Jesus is going to be with me always. Oh, that's, that's good. And Jesus says, I, I love you. Oh, he loves me. He does. And it's, and it's me, 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 me. But most of the time, when you see the word you in the New Testament, it's plural. He's going to be with you. He loves you. He's for you. He's praying for you. When we think about this idea of being in community, we need to know. Uh, love in community. This was always God's plan. That's a, a really first reason why community is critical to us being disciples and us making disciples. You got that? Uh, community is critical to being and making disciples because it's always been his plan. Think about Genesis 1. I mean, we say sometimes, well, it's just Jesus and me, man, and that's all that matters and that's all there is and, and, and the heck with everybody else and it's just Jesus and me. But God would have problems with that because God, Adam and God, before the fall, perfect relationship. And they would walk and hang out together, Adam and God. And God looked at that relationship and said, it's not good for man to not be in community, for man to just be with me and not have community. So he created community. All the way to the end of the book, Revelation, heaven is referred to as a city. It's a community. And in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham. He says, hey, Abraham, I want to build a building. 
I'm going to build a people. In the Old Testament, you don't find persons of God. You find a people of God. Now, the New Testament, we get the word. It's called church, right? We read it with the church. The word church appears 115 times in your New Testament. 113 of those times, it is translated into English as church. But what does church mean? Well, if you ask Merriam-Webster, Webster will tell you what church means. Church means this. Church means a building that is used for religious services. And the secondary uh, meaning of the word is religious services held in a church. We came to church today. It's church. But, but here's the deal. And this is one of the most interesting things of New Testament Bible translation. The word does not mean church. The word is ecclesia. Every single time. Every single time. Two words. Ek, out of, and kaleo, call. Called out of. It's a secular term. Whenever a group of people got together, they left their homes and fields and warehouses, and they came together for a political meeting, they would call the ecclesia, a gathering. That's what they were. They were a gathering for a specific purpose. Well, the New Testament writers hijacked this word, and they said, this is great. There are people who've been called out of the world for each other, for a purpose. Let's call this gathering, this gathering, this group, the ecclesia. Jesus says, I will build my ecclesia, my, my gathering, my group. But you don't find that translation in your Bible as assembly or as congregation or as called out once you find the word church. And this is why you do it. It's a long, long story, I think. But King James, 1600, when he was authorizing his translation, the legal uh, English translation, uh, he said he had 15 rules for the translators they had to follow when they were translating. Rule number three was whenever you come to the word ecclesia, you have to translate it church. You cannot translate it assembly or congregation. And this is why. Because King James was in a battle with the Pope for the authority of the church. Who's going to lead this group of believers? There's a battle going on. And he was afraid that if you translated this word congregations or assemblies, it could diminish his power. So he required that the folk use a word that's not even in the New Testament, a Greek word that meant building, that meant organization, so he could be the head. And so one thing went to the, led to the other, and everyone likes that word, and if you don't have that word in your Bible, it's not really a Bible anymore. So the translators don't want their sales to go down, so they keep the word. Bottom line is, when you see it, though, every single time, never refers to building, it always refers to a called-out group. When Jesus is talking about the church, that's what he's talking about. Not a building, not a gathering, not a special meeting per se, it's a called-out group. This is what Scripture tells us this body is supposed to look like. We call these the, the one another's. You see, look at, and as you look at this list for a second, let me ask you, how are you doing with this? This is the church in Jesus' mind. This is what it's supposed to look like. Love one another, encourage one another, care for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, which basically means somebody has to offend you, right? You can't forgive somebody unless they've messed up on you. Uh, pray for one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another. Uh, bear the burdens of one another. By the way, do you know my burdens? You don't know my burdens. Most probably, most of y'all don't. How can you bear them with me? Yes. Uh, submit to one another. I'll use that at home. It doesn't work. Comfort one another. <laughs> Confess your sins to one another. You want to do that? That's what you're supposed to do when you come to church. We're going to start right here. Everyone, they can stand up at your turn and tell us your most hideous sins. That's all we can say. It's scripture. We're going to obey scripture. That wouldn't work, would it? Uh, be at peace with one another. 
These words are what Jesus is thinking about church. He didn't want you to come to an event. He wants you to come to this, a called out group, a community that does this. So let me ask you, church was never called to a crowd. It was always called to a community. Have you ever gone to church? If you just come to an event on Sunday morning, maybe a little inspiration, maybe some good coffee, maybe hang out with people, that's great. But that's not coming to church in Jesus' mind. These are, are not words, right, that are going to work in a big group. Now, it's interesting. New Testament, got to keep in mind their mindset. Church of Corinth, most probably, First and Second Corinthians, First Church of Corinth, most probably never had more than 50 people in it. Most, most were small. And when advent of cars and transportation and all this stuff, it's, the churches can grow and they can get much larger. But as the church gets larger, we have to be intentional about getting smaller because the church is about not this. The church is about this, doing the one another's. And if we have all this, but we don't have this, are we a church in Jesus' mind? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's It's community. His, his plan, he didn't save you for you. He didn't, save me. He, just made me, he didn't save me so I could go to heaven with him one day. That's a nice fringe benefit. He saved us for community. This was his plan. A group of people that would reflect his values, that would work with each other in a way like he works with us, that would reflect forgiveness and, and love, would, would know them so well that they had to confess their sins to each other. They couldn't hide them. They would truly be able to weep with those who weep and rejoice, with those who rejoice, truly. That, and then the world would look at this and say, there must really be a God. How many times does he say in scripture that the world may know? That's his plan. That's his heart community. It's his plan at the beginning, the Old Testament, New Testament, the future. So let me ask you again. Not you come to a big building, not do you have membership, but are you in community where these things can be practiced? This is, this is church. It was, it was his plan from the beginning. But also, community is critical to our being and making disciples because reality is we need it. We need it. Mark, my favorite book. Look at Mark chapter 2. Great, great story. Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, in verse uh, 3, it says, And they came, bringing to him, that's Jesus, a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, it's Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and climbed up on the ladder with this guy on a stretcher. Not sure how they did that. Talk about an adventure, huh? And when they made an opening, they cut, cut this roof in this guy's hole in this guy's roof, they, they let him down on the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. You keep following the story. The paralytic is able to walk here. Now, well, this is, I love this story. is because this guy, he, maybe he wanted to see Jesus. It was his heart. But there was just stuff going on in his life that just, it just wasn't possible. He just couldn't get there on his own. And maybe he was just struggling. Maybe his faith was... You ever go through that? And I think we could say that Humanly speaking, if it wasn't for his friends, the small group, you know what? He would have never had this encounter with Jesus. Ever. He may have wanted it, it just wasn't going to happen without his, his friends. And look at this, is really cool. In verse 5, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he saw the faith of the guy on the mat, but all of his friends as well. When Jesus saw their faith, this guy had an encounter, which Jesus forgave this guy. Since Jesus healed this guy, 
Sometimes I want to have faith and I'm just really struggling. I, I, I'm just hitting a wall and I need the faith of others around me who will love me and care and make sure I get to, to Jesus. Who will be, and not just say, you know, be warm and filled. They're going to do what they need to do to get, get there. They're going to be with you and support and hang on. Everybody needs someone they can call at 2 in the morning. Everybody needs someone who can talk you off the ledge because we are all going to be there. Every one of us will be at a place where we have to be, even though we hate this, we have to be takers and not givers. And if, in fact, you're not in context of community where the one another's happen, you're just maybe not going to get to Jesus. Because that's the tool he wants to use to get you there in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This is a text you often hear at weddings. So it's not a wedding text. Uh, Context isn't. But Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He says, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. And has not another to lift him up. The idea is he's not getting up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? It's rhetorical. He can't, is the thought. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. What 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 he's saying is sometimes in life, I wish this wasn't true, but sometimes in life, we need, we have to have others to make it. Um, We would say that a plant... Uh, it has to have a certain environment to grow. Regardless of the plant, it needs a degree of moisture. It needs some kind of sunlight and whatever. It, it needs some kind of an environment to grow. Take that plant out of that environment and it will die or else it's going to be sickly. For believers to grow in Christ, you might not like this. This goes against our John Wayne American picture. You have, the environment is community. It's only in community that you can grow. So let me ask you, are you in community? You know, was it, uh, I was, forget what year, 87, I think. I was in Moody Concert Band, and I was infatuated with love, as it were. But I remember praying, God, would you help me to be a loving person? Be careful about praying that, by the way. And so, I remember I'm in band, and this guy joined band, Robert, and Robert had a bad uh, audition. Good enough to get in the band, but it was a bad audition. So he actually got placed right behind me, so he's sitting right next to me. Problem is, Robert was a whole lot better on the, on the trumpet than I was, a whole lot better. And he knew it. But because I was the section leader on a couple of songs, I got the solo. It drove him crazy. And I remember one time, we're in the middle of a concert, we're in a concert, and uh, I bring my horn up for the solo, and he reaches over and he grabs my bell and my horn he brings it down and he brings his up and he starts playing he says, keep it down Harris keep it down oh wanted to kill him uh, and, and God's telling me didn't you pray for love anyone can love people who are easy to love come on Mark if you can love Robert you know what you can love just about anybody here in our, our, our communities in our communities when we get ourselves in those situations where there are folk in there, we go, I just wish this person wasn't here. We're forced to love. We're forced to care for. 
We, we empty ourselves of ourselves. We realize it's not about us as we, we seek to, to do the one another. So we're going to hold one another. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to be hospitable to one another. It's about others, not me. Something happens in our heart. And we grow. And we begin to see the world through his eyes. And we begin to have his heart that you'll never, ever have unless you're in a context of community of love. It's just not going to happen. He didn't say this because he wanted to mess up our schedules because we're too busy, we don't have time for this. He said this because this is the way. Sometimes we might say, we'll be praying, oh God, would you, would you help me? Would you show up? And he's saying, I, I, I want to. And if you would obey me and be in a small group somewhere, be in a context of community, that's where I will meet you. But don't just expect me to zap it to you because it's not going to happen. We, we're in a, a, a context of community because we need this. Because we need this. It's critical for our discipleship. But also it's critical because we are needed there. We are, are needed there. Look, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, this is a great verse. 2 Corinthians 1. We have that up there. Praise be the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to be happy and because he wants us to feel good. No, so that. This is why he comforts us. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now, two things out of that verse. First of all, sometimes he comforts us, not by a zap, but through other people. How many times could we point to that? But if we're not in that context of community, we're going to be missing out on comfort that he wants to supply to us. But then also, some of y'all have been through some wild stuff. I've heard a lot of your stories, and it's crazy stuff, but the reason why he's shown up for you in those things, as evidenced you being here today, is because he wants to use that in other people's lives. He, he, he brought you through that so that, says, you can, you can use you in other people's lives. And so if you're not in that, that context of community, other people, humanly speaking, are missing out on the comfort, comfort of God. Also, Second Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be also qualified to teach others. You see what Paul's saying here? He says, Timothy, I poured into you. You want to know why I poured into you, Timothy? So you can teach other people. So that they can teach other people. So that they can teach other people. I am so grateful for Marvin Wood, Jeff Walker, a couple of youth pastors of mine. And I drove crazy, but they stuck with me. Uh, Dan Norwood, a senior pastor I had at one point. Sarah Lawfer, a, a dean who just took me under, under her, her wing, who poured into me to be a good steward of what they've done, what we have to do is we need to pass that along. Y'all think through who has poured into you over the years. The reason why they have is not just that you can be okay, but so that you can pour into others. So that they can pour into others and on and on it goes. Let me do parenthetical parenthetical thing for a second. Our small group uh, ministry that we have here at the Church of Life Groups Often, this is reality, it's a sad reality, I don't like this, but often there are people on a waiting list to get in. They want to be in a life group, uh, but we don't have leaders. Well, if you think about the one another, that, that is really what the church is. 
People come to the church wanting to be a part of the church, but we tell them they can't be a part of the church because really we don't. So you just have to come to the crowd, forget really doing the one another's because we don't have anybody. Some of y'all have been gifted. Some of y'all have had experiences in your life. You've had people pour into you. And you should be lay shepherds. You should be, there's priesthood of believers. There's no difference between you, you and I. You should be a shepherd. You've had the, the, the training. You've got the experience as far as God working in, in your life. He wants this for you to bless the body. But we don't have time. Let me, let me encourage you just to think along those lines. If, if you'd say, you know what, maybe I should. I'm not a walking commentary. I'll do the best. But maybe I, I should help in this way if I can. Please, would you please email Pastor Scott uh, and just say, hey, maybe you can use me here. Very, very important. Uh, Senator uh, John McCain, his uh, book, Faith in My Fathers, came out during the uh, campaign deal several years back. Um, but but uh, McCain was a graduate, I think, of Annapolis. He was a naval aviator. Uh, in uh, the Vietnam conflict, his plane went down over Vietnam. Well, when he ejected, it wasn't a clean ejection. Both of his arms broke in multiple places. He fell into a uh, rice paddy. He was dragged out by the locals who were beating him severely until his captors came and basically saved his life. But he spent the next five years in a POW camp. While he was in that camp, going through every kind of uh, torture and abuse you can imagine, a bunch you can't, um, he said the thing that, that kept him was not um, his wife and daughter back home, though he loved them and hoped he could see them again, but was the, the, the POWs. He was kept like the rest of the, 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 the prisoners, separated from each other in a three-foot-by-six-foot cell. Think of that. What a, what a, separated, no contact with the others. But he said in his book that through careful observation, they began to notice one another. And then he talks about in the book the, the devices they used to communicate with each other, hand motions or leaving little notes on pieces of toilet paper left in the, the, the cell or uh, taps on the wall. And, and he, says, he says this. He says, solitary confinement, it's an awful thing. It crushes your spirit and weakens your resistance more effectively than any other form of mistreatment. Having no one else to rely on, to share confidences with, to seek counsel from, you begin to doubt your own judgment and your courage. He says, of all the activities I devised to survive solitary confinement, nothing was more beneficial than communicating with other prisoners. It was simply a matter of life and death. And then he writes, he says, knowing the men in my prison and being known by them affirmed our humanity and kept us alive. Now, he's hitting on a way that we are wired, just human nature, the way God wired us for each other. How much more so the church? Where we can look okay on the outside, but spiritually we will be shriveling up if we're not in community with each other. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of whether or not we're going to just run programs and stuff or if we're really going to fulfill what he's called us to fulfill. So again, 2014 is ahead of us yet, most of it. Let me ask you, are you in a context of, of community of love? Are you in a place where they do the one another's? Because if just big room is a, you're 
understanding of church, you'll be missing out on what church really is. No wonder folk walk away. But can you imagine this? Think for a second. If someone walked in, and if we all were in this context of community, where we really could, people knew us so well we could confess our sins to one another and nobody would be judging us or lambasting us. Can you imagine that if we were in a place where we could truly love and care for and pray, what a powerful thing. Man, that's something that people want. Now, we avoid this for a couple different reasons, primarily because maybe we've had a bad small group experience in the past. You know, it's just a dysfunctional group and the wheels fell off and it's just awful. It was terrible, terrible, terrible experience. Or maybe it was like Hotel California, you know, you could guy, yeah, you can sign up, but you can't get out, man. Once you get in that thing, you have to lie and make up stuff to get out of it. Yeah, we've been there, too. We wouldn't do that, but yeah, we've been there as well. Or maybe we would say, it's just, we're just too busy. It's a busy time of life. It's just too busy. Let me ask you, are you too busy then to be a disciple? Maybe you are. But disciples love as Jesus. I think there's a big fear of being known from a distance. I look okay. But if you really get to know me, see some of my stuff, what will you think of me then? There's just a fear. But real community won't happen until you do, and you still love me, and you still accept me, and we're still, we're still, we're still friends, like should be much, much deeper friends. That's where love really happens. Love's a messy thing, isn't it? It's just a messy thing. We'd much rather just keep it on the eros side, because that's just purely physical almost. Love's just a messy thing. But it's only in that context of loving community that we're going to be able to be disciples and make disciples.